Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 444 Monday, November 22nd. Today on the show, a pretty good weekend for Tennessee Volunteer sports fans, all things considered. We had a firing in the SEC at a premier football institution. Alabama clinches the SEC West. The Preds lose in ugly fashion. But we begin with trying to pinpoint the right amount of reaction to the Titans' loss to Houston on Sunday. The Kingston Group, of course, who brings you this show, would like to say happy Thanksgiving to all of you out there. Enjoy some time with your family and friends. And, you know, if you're at a Thanksgiving dinner and you're looking around your house going, man, I think we could use some more space for a bigger Thanksgiving party, the Kingston Group are the people to call. BuildKG.com is the website. Just remember the name, the Kingston Group, before you do anything big on your home. It was only a matter of time. The Tennessee Titans' six-game winning streak was snapped on Sunday by, of all teams, the one-win Houston Texans in a 22-13 loss at home. Houston didn't really do anything special. They totaled 190 yards of offense, but they didn't make any mistakes playing a near-perfect football game. Meanwhile, the Titans, all they did was make mistakes. Ryan Tannehill threw four interceptions and now has almost as many picks in 11 games this year, 12, as he had in all of the previous two seasons combined, 13. He was sacked a lead-leading 30th and 31st time. The Titans fumbled four times, losing one, were just 6 of 15 on third downs, and just for good measure, Randy Bullock missed an extra point. It was a garbage performance in garbage weather after a string of incredible wins, and in the NFL, if you turn the ball over five times and your opponent plays mistake-free football, well, anyone can beat anyone. So what's the right question to be asking about this Titans loss? What is the appropriate amount of outrage and concern? Because all you're going to hear across every medium in Nashville is going to be outrage. We will try to be smarter on this show this morning. So let's try a few. Do the Titans want Ryan Tannehill throwing the football 52 times a game? Of course not. Will the Titans lose the turnover battle 5-0 ever again this season? Extremely unlikely. Is this team seriously depleted and running on fumes? You bet. So what should the reaction be? And to me, this was bound to happen sooner rather than later. This league is too balanced and too competitive to keep winning games the way the Titans were doing. So I don't believe anyone should lose their mind over what is, make no mistake, an awful loss to an awful football team. To me, this outcome doesn't change my big picture thinking about the very good first place team the Titans are, but it absolutely crystallizes a few really important components. And number one is can this team depend on Ryan Tannehill to carry them when Derrick Henry isn't standing in the backfield and he has to take control of a game? The answer for me has always been, I don't think so. But it seems more and more that his play this year shows us that he needs Henry and some defense to win a Super Bowl, which frankly is most quarterbacks. But the regression this season for Ryan Tannehill has been incredible. And don't tell me it's just because of injuries or the offensive line. Those are certainly factors. But he was getting world-class play from Derrick Henry and still not playing nearly as efficiently as he was the last two seasons. The regression was very, very real. Number two, that this team's margin for error is extremely small. And that no matter how great your culture is, eventually injuries will kill you in the NFL. This team is going to shatter the NFL record for most active players in a single season. And that is impossible to overcome at some point, no matter how strong your organizational culture is. And number three, and maybe most importantly, the AFC is completely wide open. 
Buffalo got hammered by the Colts, who, by the way, have a winning record. The Patriots, the Titans' next opponent, have won five straight and are now in first place. Who else is good enough to win the AFC Championship, get to the Super Bowl, and is definitively better than the Titans? Kansas City has won three straight, but they got smoked by the Titans. Cincinnati, Baltimore, the Chargers, Steelers, Raiders? No, even in their depleted state with very little margin for error, this team still looks like one of the best in the AFC, who could beat anyone anytime, anywhere. But this weekend was also a very strong reminder that you still have to go out there and do your job, that anyone can beat you if you play a sloppy, mistake-filled brand of football. And that is what the Titans did. And you will lose every time you do that, even to a team that has lost eight straight games in a row. Saturday didn't begin for Tennessee fans the way they might have hoped, but at least it ended in style and with an important milestone. First, the bad. Rick Barnes' top 20 team played number 5 Villanova in the semifinals of the Hall of Fame tip-off classic in Connecticut and were essentially run out of the gym from the beginning. The 71-53 final score could have been worse after a 35-15 first half from Nova, and the Wildcats didn't even shoot the ball particularly well at 37%. The Vols looked like a roster driven by young stars as 18 turnovers and 5 of 28 shooting from behind the arc gave Tennessee no chance at the comeback. As a consolation prize in the bracket, the Vols got a crack at number 18 North Carolina in the loser's half on Sunday afternoon. And to their credit, bounced back with an 89-72 win over a top-20 North Carolina team by shooting 54% from the floor and out-rebounding the Tar Heels 38-30. Two losses this weekend to two top-20 teams could have done some serious damage to the Volunteers' resume, but a loss to a top-5 team coupled with a win against the top-20 team well, that is going to be something the committee is actually going to be okay with come March. So all in all, you like to see how this young team and these young stars bounced back. Kennedy Chandler, of course, with 14 points and eight assists against North Carolina. You want to see this team bounce back from a bad performance on Saturday and turn right around on Sunday and make something positive out of it. Anyway, back to Saturday night. The Vols dominated an inferior opponent, beating South Alabama 60-14 to and covering the four-touchdown spread in the first half. Tennessee threw for 311 yards on 10.7 yards per attempt and ran the ball for 250 yards on 5.8 yards per carry. They allowed just 69 yards rushing, nice, in the beer game victory. It was the exact performance that is now expected from this Josh Heupel coach team, even in his first season. The win was the sixth of the year and gets Tennessee to bowl eligibility. And a win over Vanderbilt next weekend would give the Vols a winning regular season record for just the second time in five years. The stability of this offense has elevated the floor for this team in just one season. And much of that has to be attributed to the trigger man making it all happen, Hendon Hooker. He completed 85% of his passes for 273 yards and a pair of touchdowns on Saturday while adding another 21 yards on the ground and a third touchdown. From an efficiency standpoint, he's quickly becoming one of the most productive signal callers in all of college football and Heupel's top recruit this offseason. Hooker is fourth in the nation in passing efficiency behind only, get this, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, and Grayson McCall, ahead of Stetson Bennett. He is one of only 10 quarterbacks who are completing at least 70% of their passes this season. He is fifth in yards per attempt behind only C.J. Stroud, Stetson Bennett, Grayson McCall, and Dylan Hopkins of UAB. He has accounted for 29 total touchdowns and just three interceptions on the season. I still have no clue what Josh Heupel and his coaching staff were looking at during fall camp, but that's neither here nor there. The Vols are currently 11th in the country in scoring offense at 38.3 points per game. Under Jeremy Pruitt, his team scored 22 points, 24 points, and 21 points per game respectively over his three-year tenure, never ranking better than 97th in scoring. 
Basically, Josh Heupel has done exactly what he was hired to do. Score points, create an identity on offense, build a competitive and professional football program run by adults, and return some of the joy to watching Tennessee football. And he has done all of that in spades with one game left to go in his first season. Now, don't screw it up against the Commodores. In the SEC, Alabama held on for a closer-than-expected win over Arkansas, in which Bryce Young threw for a Crimson Tide single-game record 559 yards and in the process clinched the SEC West division. It sets up the battle of the century between number 1 Georgia and number 2 Bama in the SEC title game if they both survive rivalry games in the season finale next weekend. Speaking of Auburn, for those of us who openly root for complete and total chaos, we could not have gotten a better set of outcomes this weekend in the SEC. Missouri got bowl eligible with an overtime win over Dan Mullen in Florida, while South Carolina also got to bowl eligibility with a narrow win over Brian Harson in Auburn. For different reasons, both Mullen and Harson are under major scrutiny right now, and glaring losses to two of the worst teams in the SEC with massive rivalry games looming next weekend was the worst possible thing that could have happened for them. For the Pro Chaos crew, though, it was absolutely delightful. Because Florida Athletic Director Scott Strickland decided to fire Dan Mullen on Sunday, opening up yet another premier job in college football, only making the coaching carousel that much more fascinating. Florida joins USC and LSU as extremely coveted national championship caliber coaching jobs, sitting atop the coaching search currently, with really solid jobs like Washington, Virginia Tech, and TCU sitting right behind them. And if Brian Harson at Auburn joins the unemployment line and the Tigers are looking for a coach as well, then we could be talking about the most extraordinary coaching carousel in modern history. And the dominoes that could fall as a result could reach Oklahoma, Penn State, Kentucky, and God knows where else. The tentacles will reach far and wide and will be splendid to track. Now, why might Harson get fired? Here's the short version. Well, you have to understand the booster context. Half of them never wanted him in the first place and are not fans of athletic director Alan Green, who cut them out of the hiring process. And the state of Alabama has a vaccine mandate deadline of December 8th, and their selective moral outrage could easily lead to these boosters moving on their first-year coach because they never wanted him in the first place. And frankly, 7-5 isn't good enough at Auburn. Remember, Auburn's roster wasn't the issue. It was the coaching and development that got Gus Malzahn fired. Either way, the next two weeks are going to be wild. God bless the SEC, and God bless it just meaning more. As for who the Florida Gators should target in their coaching search, well, just like LSU and USC, the expectations are extraordinarily high national championships, and those types of coaches aren't easily identifiable at this stage of the search, like day number one. It is purely speculative for anyone on the internet to throw up any names at all. But if Billy Napier at Louisiana wanted to take a Power 5 job, it does feel like there is some mutual interest between Florida and the Louisiana coach, which of course would make total sense. After that, the job that Strickland has is incredibly difficult. It's a tough fire getting rid of Dan Mullen, who had three top 10 finishes and is an extraordinary offensive mind. He just couldn't recruit against Georgia and Kirby Smart. So what the Florida Gators are trying to do is what Georgia did when they fired Mark Richt trying to hit an extraordinarily small bullseye. Fire a guy who won 9 or 10 games a year and recruited around the 10th best class every year to try to get somebody that can recruit and compete with Alabama and Nick Saban. And they did that with Kirby Smart. Is there another one of those guys just lying around that Florida can go get? I, I don't know. You tell me who that person is, and I'll applaud and say go for it. But I don't think those guys grow on trees, and I'm not sure who that person is right now. I think this was a tough fire for Florida. I'm not suggesting they shouldn't have done it. But there's no plan in place that guarantees them to be better than Georgia moving forward. And that is a tough job for Scott Strickland. 
The Nashville Predators played eight out of nine games on the road. To start, the Preds went 4-1-1 over the first six and then beat Arizona at home to work their way up to second place in the Central Division. However, the road swing didn't end the way the Preds wanted. After getting beat 3-0 against Toronto last Tuesday, Nashville got absolutely curb-stomped by a very, very bad Montreal team on Saturday. It was 5-0 before the end of the second period, and while Matt Duchesne tried some heroics, scoring a natural hat-trick on Saturday, bringing his goal total to an absurd 12 for the season, the outcome was still very concerning, especially considering the defensive performance, even with young star defenseman Alex Carrier returning to the lineup, which I guess was some good news. Nashville is now 9-7-1 on the season, and after the loss, fell into 8th place in the Western Conference. This is about where this team should be. Slightly better than 500, fighting for a playoff spot, which means it cannot afford to lay giant eggs against really, really bad 4-13 and teams. That just can't happen. The Preds are back on the ice on Monday night against a surprisingly awesome Anaheim team to start a homestand that features 6 out of 7 at Bridgestone Arena. The 440 is brought to you by the Kingston Group, Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm. They are award-winning for a reason. Their process has been successful over 10 years for a reason. And of course, my family uses them for a reason. BuildKG.com is the website. Check it out. Give them a call. Just have a conversation. The Kingston Group. Thank you guys all for listening. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter, of course, at Braden Gall. Please share the product. This has been the 440 for Monday, November 21st. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler.